The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. The scripture reading today is from Hebrews 10, 19-25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us, through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Well, good morning, everybody, and thank you for that, Rachel. Uh, As Lyric mentioned just a minute ago, we're starting our new fall series. It's going to be just a few weeks long. It's sort of a reset, a back-to-the-basics sort of thing. Um, And I'd like to start with this. Uh, It's a conversation that I was in with a friend uh, the other day who's actually lost 50 pounds uh, in the last few months, and he's in uh, the best shape he's ever been in, according to him. And and, uh, uh, he went in for a visit uh, uh, not long ago to his, his, uh, I guess, trainer, nutritionist, sort of this holistic uh, help-you-get-in-shape professional that that helped him uh, to lose these 50 pounds. And uh, the trainer was um, very pleased with what she saw and, and said, wow, you, you look great. Uh, what did you do to, to, to get in such great shape? And he said, I, I did everything you told me to do. And, uh, and the trainer responded, well, you'd be surprised at how rare that is, that my clients actually do what I tell them to do. And my friend said, well, it sounds like you should be raising the bar a little bit on your clients. This series is about raising the bar to the goal of health. If it's true for physical health, it's true for every other area of life that matters. If you have a desired outcome in mind, there are going to be necessary practices that have to become central to the liturgy of your life in order for that outcome to happen. If you want to flourish academically, you you have to have good, diligent study habits. If you want your car, your vehicle to last, uh, you will need to change the oil uh, as often as the mechanics tell you you should and keep up with all the routine maintenance. There needs to be a liturgy around your car. If you want your lawn to to look good and to be green and weed-free, there has to be a liturgy to your life where you're tending to that lawn and you're tending to that garden uh, on a regular basis. If you want to be a skilled musician, uh, you have to do the scales and your vocal runs. Even, even musicians who've been at it for 40 years professionally are still doing the basics in order to remain excellent. If you want to have a healthy, flourishing marriage or family, uh, the liturgy of your life has to include being fully present, present regularly with the people that you're in life with. And so, um, 
If this is the case, that desired outcomes of health require necessary practice, practices in every area of life, of course it applies when we're talking about healthy souls. When we're talking about the goal that, that, that Scripture says should be the number one goal of every person who identifies as a follower of Christ, and that is that Christ be formed in us, that we become like Christ more and more with every passing year of our lives, we grow in the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, that we, we become the best version of who God has made us uniquely to be, there are necessary practices, necessary rhythms, a necessary liturgy around which we organize our entire lives. So we've got, we've got three practices, worship, connect, serve, but there's actually six, okay, because so, each one of them has two beneath them. And today's focus is in the worship uh, category, and we're going to talk about being fully present with the local church every single Sunday, including when you're out of town, okay? And I'm going to try to convince you uh, today why it is that important. And then the second practice under worship will be to uh, be fully present with Jesus Christ every single day. We'll, we'll, we'll look at that next week. And then under connect, two things, take every opportunity to gather with your group. And number two, befriend and bring in people who don't have a church. Under serve, number one, strengthen the church by serving and giving. Number two, enhance flourishing by serving your work, your world, and people in need. So uh, again, we're focusing on the first of those six today. Be fully present with the local church every single Sunday, unless you're sick, unless there's some major emergency, some major rare emergency, uh, of course, there's plenty of grace there, but be here, otherwise, every single week of the year, period. I'm going to tell you why in a minute. I'm going to ask you to elevate the local church to the same place that you elevate getting your kids to school on time, that you elevate getting to your work on time, that you elevate uh, having X number of meals every single day and showing up to, to, to consume that meal. I want to I mean, encourage you to elevate being present with a local church in the same way that you're going to be present at, a, at an event. If you have football tickets or concert tickets like we do tonight uh, or other things, to elevate it, to organize your whole life around it so it's protected, so that it's solid, so that it's a necessary thing instead of an optional thing? Partly because of what it says in this text. Enter the holy place. It's an invitation. It's not a demand as much as it is an invitation, a welcome, a hospitable God saying, come in to my house because my house is our house. Draw near, he says, to the house of God. Stir each other up there when, when you get there. Stir each other up toward love and good works. Show up. Don't neglect, this is the central uh, statement in the passage, don't neglect meeting together as is the habit, as has been habituated by some. But all the more, gather with one, and each, one another and encourage each other as you see the day of Christ approaching. So God's desire is that every Sunday, which the Bible calls the Lord's Day, it's the day that belongs to Him, not to us, belongs to Him, he says, organize your whole life so that this particular day can be treated as my day, which is a holy day, a holiday, like Thanksgiving. It's a family reunion. We gather around a table. Therefore, let us keep the feast. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. 
Okay, so uh, three headings. This is, this is where I start to get into trying to convince you why I'm elevating the bar and why we ought to be elevating the bar for ourselves about why the, the, the Sunday right before Labor Day should look no different than Easter Sunday in terms of the energy, in terms of the hope, in terms of the, the, the commitment that, that, that is given to the, the house of God by the people of God. First, the church is the hospital that we all need. Second, uh, in it is contained the memory unit that we cannot live without. And then finally, it's the only place in town to get a six-star meal. Okay? So let's start with the first one. The church is the hospital that we all need. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three of those gospels, Jesus calls himself a physician. He says those who are well, they have no need for a physician, but those who are sick do need a physician, and they know it. I came, Jesus said, not to call the righteous, but sinners. Um, You've probably heard of Abigail Van Buren, uh, Dear Abby column, famous Dear Abby column, Uh, In one of her columns, she said, the church should be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. A hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. Uh, First thing we all know about hospitals is that what happens in hospital rooms is messy. It's messy. Why go there then to a place that I know is going to be messy if I'm not feeling right now particularly sick? Well, I'll tell you in a moment, it's because you actually have a silent killer living inside of you, and you are sick. Even if you don't feel it, you are, and so you need to be there. But why go? Why be part of it? Why enter in? Why press in? This book of Hebrews, there are three factors that we ought to consider from what they were going through, and these were three factors that were leading Jewish Christians in particular. This is a book that's uniquely written, a lot like the Gospel of Matthew, to, with Jewish converts to Christianity in mind. Three factors were leading Jewish Christians to pull away and privatize their faith. Number one was the, the, the public reality of religious persecution. If you publicly identified with Jesus Christ as a follower of his and, and attending church services was, was one of the main ways that you did that, uh, you would be subject to persecution. You would be risking your social standing. You would be risking your employment. You would be risking uh, possibly even your ability to, to continue living with your own family uh, because you would be risking your life. That was the persecution dynamic. And so, of course, understandably, there was this fear of, of becoming too public with our faith. But the second reason was cultural tension that was starting to take place in the sanctuary because all of a sudden, the message of, of Jesus, the message of the Messiah, is giving us a, a social dynamic in the church that, that we'd never known before, and that is that the Gentiles have been told that they belong just as much as we do. Cross-cultural realities are actually part of what it means to be a true, vibrant community of Jesus Christ. And if, you, if you're in an all, you know, homogeneous zip code by skin color, then take a look at your political diversity. Take a look at your generational diversity. Take a look at, 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 at any other form of diversity that you can find and get into those relationships as much as you possibly can. See, that's why they were piecing out. They didn't want any of that. They're coming in. They're messing with our customs. 
They're messing with our traditions, with our preferences. We don't like their music. We don't like their poetry. We don't like the way they think about things. We don't like their politics. We don't like the zip codes where they live. And yet, now the Gentiles are part of things and the center of things. And the third reason why they were neglecting the house of God was what they saw as hypocrisy in other Christians. Well, these people don't live faithfully. These people are here, but they're not sincere. I can just tell. Okay? Hypocrisy in other people. And sometimes the charge was correct. But by the way, if I'm making that charge, then whose hypocrisy should I be most concerned with? Because didn't Jesus also say, judge not, lest you be judged? And so, basically, the Hebrew converts to Christianity are thinking, on some level, like Jean-Paul Sartre, the philosopher, was. You know, hell is other people. Why bother? Why can't I just have Jesus and me and listen to Tim Keller on the internet, and that'll be my Christianity? Because it's meant to be an embodied faith. It's meant to be incarnational. The problem with Christianity is Christians. You know, I had a conversation a few years ago with another pastor who said, I love the ministry. I just can't stand people. <laughs> and I thought, well, <laughs> not sure you love the ministry then. You've heard this one before, possibly. Well, if only there were still New Testament churches around, then, then you know, I would engage. I would be a New Testament Christian if there were only some New Testament churches. And, I mean, my thought on that is, you know, you mean like Corinth? The New Testament church that had more written about it and to it than any other New Testament church? Corinth? The dysfunctional mess that was the church at Corinth where they had cliques, divisiveness, mean-spirited people, adultery, lawsuits against each other, divorce happening all the time, elitism, classism, neglect of the poor, racism... The whole letter, the, first, the whole letter of 1 Corinthians is the Apostle Paul getting in the grill of, a, of, a, of, a, of an entire church that was filled with hypocrisy of all kinds. But how does he start that letter? I thank God for you. You're my brothers and my sisters. God has called you. You are his beloved and you're beloved to me. That's how he starts it, and then he gets in their grill. How can you put those two things together? That's what you call a church. Jesus is always simultaneously flexing the muscles of conviction and compassion. The church is one of the only places on earth where you can get both at the same time all the time. Conviction and compassion. Confrontation and, and, and the unburdening of the pressure that you feel from that. How can Paul put confrontation and tenderness together? It's very simple. Hypocrisy is a central tenet of Christianity. You actually cannot be a Christian without being a hypocrite. That is to say, you actually can't be a human without being a hypocrite. But to be a Christian is to come out as a hypocrite to acknowledge your own inconsistency, your own incongruency, to live according to that which you profess your faith, or that to which, and him to which you profess your faith. 
We are messy. It's not just the church or the hospital that's messy. We are messy. We don't measure up. And here's why the church is so unique. Here's why I need it. Here's why you need it. And we need it all the time. We don't measure up. And a properly healthy, functioning church reminds us of that because out there, if you want a good job, if you want to be respected, if you want to have friends, if you want to be on the inner ring, you have to put your best foot forward. You have to perform. You have to put on a show. You know, our youngest daughter who's starting to look at colleges um, got word about a, 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 one of, how one of the college's sororities does rush. And the way that they weed out the first group of, of young women that they're not going to accept into their sorority is they just look at the shoes. And if the shoes aren't nice enough, they're out before a conversation even happens. And I shake my head at that, and then I think, wait a minute, that's not just unique to sororities. Because in life, in 40-year-old life, it's what you do, it's what you wear, it's who you know, and it's where you live. That's what matters. That's, what, though, that's the grid that you're going to get run through to determine whether or not you're going to be in somebody's circle. What you do, what you wear, who you know, and where you live. Pressure. But with Jesus and, and, and with the churches that are centered on him, it's the opposite. The uglier and messier, the better. Remember what we said in our confession? There is no health in us. We need a hospital. We need a physician, and we need him together. In the hospital, optics are irrelevant. They, 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 they say, take off your fancy clothes or take off your dirty clothes. We're going to put the same clothes on all of you. Equalizer. Everyone has equal dignity. Everybody has equal need in here. You can't tell the difference between a millionaire and somebody on food stamps in the hospital unless you start judging by skin color and things like that. But you may be wrong when you pass those judgments, by the way. The pressure to keep up in a hospital is gone. The standard for admission in a hospital is to tell somebody you're sick and you need help. What disqualifies you in the world, in other words, is what gives you a home in the church of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine going on LinkedIn and and, and there's this new uh, pop-up of a, of a job being advertised, and it's a want ad, and it says this, now hiring people with financial problems, family dysfunction, social anxiety, loneliness, injury, illness, guilt, shame, regret, a damaged reputation, a broken heart. The pay is great. The benefits are amazing. When Jesus recruits, that's the only way he recruits. That's who he's looking for. The weakest, the vilest, and the poor. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. He, he only, in other words, he only accepts, the world accepts only people who put their best foot forward. Jesus only accepts people who are willing to put their worst foot forward. Our first member vows, do you acknowledge yourself to be a sinner in the sight of God, just, justly deserving his displeasure and without hope except through his sovereign mercy? Do you? If you can't say yes to that, you can't be a member of the church. He won't accept you if you won't accept your own need. 
You're ruling yourself out. You're opting out. You're piecing out. But the next vow is, do you acknowledge the Lord Jesus Christ is the one and only Savior of sinners? And, and the answer to that burden that you carry in. You know, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus tells a parable of, of a great banquet, and he's the presumed host of the banquet, right? It's, it's, it's not, not hard to draw the connection between him being the, the host of the banquet and all human beings being the invitees. And so there's this first list of invitees that, that initially say, yes, we'll come to your banquet. Thank you very much. And then the time gets closer and closer and closer to the banquet, and people start opting out at the end. One person says, I've bought a field, and I need to go be with my field. That's the leisure. That's the leisure excuse. I've bought a vacation home. I've bought a boat. Sure is sunny outside today. Titans are playing today. Tailgate starts early. The leisure option. And then another person says, well, I have an ox, and I need to go tend to my ox. That's the work uh, that's the work excuse. It's just too busy. Ox is in a ditch again and again and again and again. Or I just got married and I need to be with my wife. That's the family time piece, right? We just need some family time. This, what better place for a family than here? What better place? To have a bigger family come around your family, to support parents being parents, support children being children. What better place? And, 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 and the host, Jesus says, his response to all these different reasons, leisure, family time, work, is that he's angry. He's angry at the ambivalence, but he's not angry at persons. He's certainly not angry at those who belong at the table. He's not angry at them as much as he's angry for them. He's angry at what they're doing to themselves. They're opting out of that which is healthy. It's like the trainer that says, none of the people that, that I work with do a thing I say. It's just so rare anymore with 1.7 times a month being defined as average church attendance in the United States. not a shred of shame in this parable. It's more like, what, what are you doing to yourself? What are you doing to yourself? You know, C.S. Lewis describes it really well. He says, we're, we're, we're like children playing in a mud puddle. Somebody invites us to the beach. I'm like, I don't want to go to the beach. I've got my mud puddle here. And Lewis goes on. He says, we're just so, so easily satisfied. We'll take so much less than what God has for us. So Jesus then tells his servant, Go to the streets and the alleys then and compel the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame to come into my house. Make my Father's house full. It's my vision, a full house. If I have a dream, let's say I have 15 more years that God gives me to pastor Christ Pres. Here's what I hope will materialize more and more and more over time with each passing year. More and more and more we're a church filled with thirsty beggars and less and less with nominal Christians who are kind of bored with Jesus, but you come here for social reasons or just to be around people. 
Like, like more and more, the, the, those hearts will be lit on fire and, 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 and given a thirst and a hunger that just makes you think, I cannot, I'm counting the days till Sunday, I'm counting the hours till I can be with the people of God again. Thirsty beggars, such that you can no longer tell the difference between Easter and Labor Day weekend. That's my dream. Maybe it's a pipe dream, but still my dream. That number one, two, and three on your playlist will be Psalm 42, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul pants for the Lord and for his courts. Or in Psalm 84, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord. How lovely is your church. Better is one day in your courts, better is one day in the church than a thousand days anywhere else. Or Psalm 24, one thing I ask for, one thing I seek, that I may gaze on the beauty of the Lord and behold him where? In his temple, among his people. Beggars telling other beggars where the bread is and not able to get enough of the bread. That's my dream. I think it's Jesus' dream too. So in this hospital, there is also the memory unit that we can't live without, right? Because we are chronic amnesiacs about, about just the staggering implications of what it means to have belonging with God and to have belonging with the people of God. We forget so easily. It's like Melville said in, in uh, Moby Dick, heaven have mercy on us all, Presbyterians and pagans alike, for we are all desperately cracked about the head and sadly need mending. You know, Luther in his Galatians commentary, when he's talking about the truth of the gospel, he says, we should know the truth, we preachers especially, should know the truth of the gospel well, we should teach it unto others, and we should beat it into their heads continually. We should be dogmatic, but dogmatic in a certain way. Dogmatic in this way. God loves you, and there is nothing you can ever do to change that. The less you are here, the more you will forget that. And the more you forget that, the more dysfunctional of a human being you're going to be. It's just the way it works. Church is the community where we are meant to stir each other up. More than any other community is going to stir us up. Consider, he says, how we may stir each other up. And then the writer stirs our memories of what Jesus has done. He's opened the curtain. This is how I can tell you that God is not mad at you. He's mad for you. It's because of what's right here. Through Jesus, he has opened the curtain of the Holy of Holies. He's given us direct access to God. We have full assurance. We're loved. We've been washed through baptism. We've been given a clean conscience All the negative verdicts have been undone and reversed by Jesus Christ, our great high priest. Therefore, on the basis of that, we have possession of an ability to be confident, confident as we enter the presence of God. The aim of everything that we do here, I want to ask you to get here on time and and not leave until after the benediction. Like, make that a habit, to habituate that. Habituate it. If you're just coming for this sermon, you're missing a whole lot of what God wants to do in your life from the call to worship all the way to the end, to the the, the last pronouncement or the benediction when we're sent out, the music, the prayers, the reading of Scripture, the testimonies, all of it, whether or not you feel God working in it, He is. You know that place in Isaiah where He says, my word will not return to me void, it will accomplish. 
You know, it's like broccoli in your system. When you eat broccoli, you're like, eh, it didn't taste. But, but it's doing something organically in you. It's not under your control. You've just done what the nutritionist says to do. And all of a sudden, two, three years later, you realize I'm healthier than I've ever been. Why? Because you've habituated things that used to bore you or scare you or annoy you. You've habituated them. The liturgy we do on Sunday also is, is this, this pattern of God. Here's how every day should start. God's inviting you into his world and into his presence. That's the starting point. That's what we call a call to worship. There's some reckoning we need to do with, through confession of sin to, to, to acknowledge our need. And then Jesus sweeps in with assurance of pardon. And, and, and we sing about these things. And, and we give ourselves back through an offering. And then we, we, we sit in the presence of, of the word of God and we hear from him. And then we gather around at, at the culminating table where all of this is leading. Look, you miss a part of it. Um, you're hurting yourself. You're, you're, you're missing out. You're forfeiting something that God wants to do in your life and in your heart and, and, and to shape you and to form you through it. You know, Tom Douglas is a songwriter who's part of our Christ Pres community. He's just became an emeritus elder. He's been a faithful elder of Christ Pres for a lot of years. And um, and Tom, one of his breakout songs was uh, The House That Built Me. It's, it was picked up by Miranda Lambert. You, you may have heard it. Uh, and in that song, he, he talks about the house that built him. He, he says, we get lost in this old world. And when we get lost in this old world, we forget who we are. And so the reason why he comes back to the house that he grew up in, the house that built him, was that so he could grab and take back out into the world a memory from the house that built me, that his amnesia can be cured and dealt with for, for until the next time he needs to return to the house that built him. So he can take another memory with him. Here's the memory that, 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 that you take with you when you gather with the church of Jesus Christ. All of this great stuff, full assurance, washed through baptism, clean conscience, confidence to enter the holy place of God through the blood of Jesus Christ, through your great loving and interceding high priest. You should hear that here. You will hear that here with more volume and conviction than you will anywhere else to give you a memory to take from the house that's building you even now, out there where the pressure lies, out there where you're, you're judged and punished or esteemed on the basis of what you do, what you wear, who you know, and where you live. You have to forget that stuff and reconnect with the memory of the house that built you. So Ray Ortland uh, is one of my predecessors here at Christ Pres. Today is actually his last day. He's 70 years old. It's his last day serving as senior pastor of Emmanuel Church in Nashville, which is a church that he planted. And uh, one of his staff members, Sam Alberry, uh, posted a video of Ray opening a recent worship service at Emmanuel. And I had to share it with you because this was so cool. I, I looked at this video and I'm like, that's amazing. It makes me want to paint our church doors red. He's talking about, Ray, is the, the, the old tradition of, of church doors being painted red. And, and he says, here's the explanation of that. We enter the church through the blood of Christ. Out there, we never measure up. We never fully belong. But in here, we do because we enter through the finished work of Jesus on the cross. 
Walking into completeness. In here, we can be honest with ourselves, each other, and the Lord. He says we belong to all who are weary and need rest, to all who mourn and long for comfort, to all who fail and desire strength, to all who sin and need a Savior. The church opens wide her red doors. In the name of Jesus, the friend of sinners. Why be fully present with the local church every Sunday, because you are cracked about the head, and you sadly need mending. And the physician shows up in the praises and in the presence of his people. There is no substitute. You're not going to get this listening to your favorite podcast. You're not going to get this on the golf course, as beautiful as the golf course is. It's not enough. Check out Psalm 19. Creation can only get us so far. We need the people of God. There's no place on earth where your memory is going to be stirred more forcefully about how loved you are. Encourage each other, the writer says. Put courage into one another. Make one another's souls stronger. You know, the New International Version uh, translates uh, the verse where it says, stir each other up. The the NIV translates it, spur one another on. You you equestrians will get that. You know, why, 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 why is a spur used on the side of a horse? To optimize the horse's power. You know, the horse is trotting along at 30%, and all of a sudden the spur hits the side a couple of times, boom. 95% speed, 95% power unleashed. What irritates you about your church? Is supposed to make you stronger. Let's forget about the stuff you love and all the reasons why you decided to join here. You know, let's talk about the stuff that happens after the church honeymoon is over. The church honeymoon is what happens, you know, at, at some point after you realize, oh my goodness, I'm in community with sinners. I thought they were all so perfect and beautiful and amazing and like me. <laughs> you know, Eugene Peterson, pastor and writer, um, Somebody asked Eugene Peterson once, how do I find the church that I'm supposed to be part of? And his answer was, pick one and stay. Pick one and stay. It's when the irritations happen. It's when you sin against somebody and then you've got to deal with whether or not you're going to humble yourself and apologize and ask for forgiveness or peace out. Or it's when somebody sins against you and then you've got to decide whether or not you're going to forgive them. And apply what you've received from Christ into that relationship. Or are you going to stay immature and peace out? You know, it's, it's, it's when you um, realize you don't like the music as much as you thought you might. Or you don't like the sermons. Like that, that light shines off of that bald preacher's head and it kind of blinds you. <laughs> There's something. I hope there are like eight things that every single one of you don't like. Because it's the thing you don't like that are going to make you grow up. Things you love, they're sweet and wonderful. They're not going to make you grow up. It's, it's pressing in and learning to love until you actually learn to like. How can I like music that I don't like? Well, if I see how it impacts somebody else in ways that it doesn't impact me, that is a cause for worship because this is a we thing, not a me thing. You know, our American consumeristic individualism gets so in the way of what God wants to do in people's lives in a church. There is such an usness about this, which is why we need it 
It's also why we want out. Not only should we be amazed at, oh, wow, how Jesus loves me. We, we should also have a wow factor at, 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 at how deeply Jesus loves people that we have a dis- difficulty liking or relating to. If, if that has never been your experience, you've actually never experienced the local church in the way that you're meant to. Spur toward love and good deeds. Lastly, and this, let, let's let this be the communion set up. The local church is the only place on earth where you will ever find a six-star meal. And you you thought that that five stars was the ceiling. You thought that five was the limit. It's not. Because the table in front of us, truth be told, should make those, especially those who have the Holy Spirit living inside of them, should make places like Cane Prime and Rolf and Daughters and Grays on Main or whatever your favorite place is, Chipotle, I don't know what you like, but it should make all of that look like fast food. Not necessarily because of what it, it's meant to make, the portions are small to, 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 to cause you to leave with, with hunger and, and to continue to pursue the feeding of that hunger. I'm not talking about how great the bread is or great the, you know, the wine is. Uh, it's more about what this, what Jesus says he's going to do to your soul, to your inside, to your character, how he's going to form you how he's going to grow you up, how he's going to help you meet your biggest goal in life, and that's to become more and more and more and more like him. I mean, stir each other up, but it says stir each other up toward something, toward love, toward good deeds. You know, nobody goes to the hospital to lick their wounds. You go to the hospital so your wounds can be healed so you can go back out into the world and bring life to wherever God's put you. To bring life where you work, where you live, where you play, where you study, where you, you know, fight it out on the athletic field to follow Christ in his mission of loving people, places, and things to life. You don't come here to just get your wounds licked. You come to get them mended. In through the red door, all your sins and sorrows are dealt with on your way in. But what if we painted the other side of the door, the one that we go out of, white, to symbolize that there are two sides to the cross of Jesus Christ. There's the lament over sin and sorrow that causes us to run through the red. But then there's the resurrection that causes us to run through the white in greater strength to love and to serve. Jesus doesn't just want to mend you. He wants to make you remarkable. And he can. And he will. And when he does, if he does and when he does, maybe someday he'll circle back with you and say, what did you do to get so healthy and strong. And you'll just say, I did everything you told me to do. Nothing more and nothing less than that. And it starts right here. Don't neglect the gathering of yourselves together, but do it all the more. Do it all the more.
as you see the day of Jesus approaching, be fully present with the local church every single Sunday. I hope we're all at least struggling with that and maybe at best completely on board. So I'll invite Pastor Filson forward to lead us in the Lord's